And uh, by the grace of God, we're going to try to deliver God's word in a way that would be applicable and would be a blessing to you. Um, if you could turn the monitor mic, the monitor speaker down a little bit, uh, that would be a blessing. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 5, to the books of Acts chapter 5 and verse 1. And once we all find our places, I'll begin reading. But a certain man, it says in verse 1, but a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession, and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not in thine own? Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after that when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the fear of them which have buried thy husband, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I come before you, and you know, Father, that I cannot preach of my own ability. Father, I cannot... I cannot do anything, Father. It, without me, you told us, to be, you can do nothing, Father. So I just pray, Father, that you would empower me to deliver your message that I believe you've given to me for those that are here assembled, Father, and that we would live life according to your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So in order to understand what's going on here, we're going to need to go back a little bit into the context of what's taking place in the Jerusalem church. And you'll be helped in doing that if you are here on Thursday night, because not, Thursday night two weeks ago, because Thursday night two weeks ago that I um, preached a message from the passage that immediately, or the, one of the passages that precedes this, how that the apostles had been arrested by the Sanhedrin, by the Jewish leaders, and they had been put in prison. It was actually Peter and John who had been arrested, not all of the apostles, that would come later. They were arrested, and then they were let out of prison. They were threatened. They said, we're going to do this to you. We're going to do that to you. And they let them out of prison. And they come back to the believers. And they prayed. And, 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 and they asked God to give them boldness to continue to obey him. They weren't concerned about their own personal safety, their own personal comfort. But they were concerned about doing what God gave them to do. And God blessed them. And as God blessed the Jerusalem church, as God answered their prayer for boldness, amazing things were taking place in the church at Jerusalem. 
We had the apostles were filled just as they had prayed. They were filled with boldness of the Holy Spirit to go out and preach the gospel. And people were getting saved and, and people were getting converted and things were going really well. And then we had the believers that were in the church. They were all of one mind, one accord. They weren't fighting. They weren't arguing. Imagine a church of thousands of people with everyone getting along. I mean, that is a miracle in and of itself. And not only were they getting along, but if they saw one brother or one sister that didn't have enough food to eat, then they were taking their own food and they were feeding them. Or they saw someone, they said, you know, your clothes are looking a little ragged. And, and they would take the money that they had and they would, you know, go and buy someone else some clothes. And if someone didn't have housing, they would provide housing for them. They were meeting the needs of the whole congregation. This would have been even more important in that context. Because remember, the Jewish leaders and many of the Jewish people, while all of those we're talking about were Jewish in heritage, many in the Jewish culture had rejected Jesus. And so it could be... If you were a, a, a person and, and you were a young person living at your parents' house and you believed the preaching of Peter, then you got kicked out of your house and you needed a place to live. And so that place was provided for you. And, and it could be that you lost your job because you worked for a member of the Sanhedrin and when he found out you were assembling in the temple with these Christian people, well, they weren't called Christians yet, but with the followers of Jesus, then you lost your job and you didn't have any way of providing for your family. And so there were needs that were present and there were needs that were being met. And not only was everyone participating in this, but there was a man whose name was Barnabas and Barnabas went above and beyond what others were doing even in the midst of this incredible generosity, he had some property and he sold the property and he brought all the money of the sale and he laid it at the feet of the apostles, which is where these donations to give out his charity to the other members were being brought and he gave it all away. And you can just you know, imagine what an encouragement that would be to people that here is this man, Barnabas, who's, who is giving all of his property away and he, and he cares so much about... about um, Others, he is willing to injure his own financial prospects so that he can care for the other members of the body. And you can, you can, just, you can just think that, you know, if you were a parent and you had little kids here, you would point out Barnabas to your children and say, you know, when you grow to be an adult, I want you to be like him. I mean, that is a good example for you to follow. And, 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 and for you know, a good example to the adults, a role model to the children, and people noticed what Barnabas did because it was really quite incredible. I mean, it was a great act of sacrificial generosity that everyone knew about. Well, there were two people who knew about it. But what they noticed wasn't how generous Barnabas was. What they noticed wasn't how close to the Spirit of God and how, how much like Jesus Barnabas was. They didn't notice that. That wasn't what they were about. They noticed that Barnabas got a lot of attention. They noticed that when Barnabas walked through the room, people looked at him. They noticed there was an increase of little infants being named Barnabas. I don't know that for sure, but you can imagine the kind of impact that would have. This was the kind of thing they were noticing. I'm taking a little bit of liberties just to try to flesh out the story so you can kind of capture what's going on here, but I don't think I'm stretching the meaning of what happened in this story at all. And so they noticed this, this sort of stuff, and they got together, and they, they came up with a plan. They said, we got some property we even need to sell, and man, it sure would be nice if people noticed me the way they noticed Barnabas. Wow. I mean... 
and nobody pays attention to me that way. <sighs> wow, that would be nice. That would be really nice. That glory, people looking at us. And you know, if, if they had cameras, it would be like the paparazzi, and they would be like, wow, you get pictures and stuff. And they got together, and they, you know, you can imagine them starting to daydream about this kind of like, Everybody would look at me the way they look at Barnabas. Like, oh. You could just see him kind of smiling to themselves. And you could see, you know, Sapphira thinking, well, I have a new dress I haven't worn to the temple yet. You know, if, if, if people looked at me, they would notice it. You know, wow. So they conspired together to get some of that attention for themselves. You see, Barnabas hadn't done that to get the attention. Barnabas had done that because he was on the agenda that the disciples and the apostles and the the people of God were on of loving one another and witnessing and outreaching to the world. That was the agenda the apostles were on. That was the agenda Barnabas was on. And as Barnabas pursued Jesus, as Barnabas pursued what, what the church was all about, as he was on God's agenda, then he received blessing. He didn't go out and say, you know what, I'm going to get this for myself. No, he didn't do that. He was just serving God. He was following God. And this attention came, quite incidentally, to his own purposes that he was following. That wasn't what was about to happen in this story. They sold a piece of property. They sold a field. And, 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 and they, they said, you know what? We need so much money for our retirement fund. And so we're going to take this amount of money and we're going to go and say we gave everything. We don't know how we're going to eat our next meal because this is all we have. And that was the way they were going to present it. So that's what they did. And so you could imagine, this is the big day. They've safely sequestered and hidden away, you know, the, the amount they were keeping for themselves so no one would know about it. And they got the, the amount of money they were choosing to give. And, and I mean, you could just think of how you would do this. If you were doing it for the attention, I mean, I would think, you know, you take it down to the money changers and get the entire amount in pennies. I mean, would, you know, that would be a logical thing to do. Small change and maybe put a little gold on the top so it sparkled, but, you know, get it as small a denominator as possible. And then, you know, come in at the, the door, you know, the, the, the Solomon's porch had many entrances. So you could imagine he thought through, okay, I wonder where Peter is sitting. I'm going to come in at the door. It's the farthest away from where the apostles are sitting. And I'm going to have these heavy bags of change. And I'm going to walk there. And, and people are going to start to notice me before I even get up to where Peter is sitting. Sophia was supposed to go with her husband, but she was thinking, if everybody's going to notice me, I better have my hair done really well. And so that's why she was so late. Of course, I don't know that's really what happened, but, you know, just telling the story doesn't really affect the meaning, but it definitely affects the interest level. And so they, 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 you can just imagine Ananias coming through the crowds with these bags of money, and he probably you know, exaggerated his movements a little bit and was a little weighed down with the money, and he comes before Peter, and he's... He lays it down as if he was giving it all. And you can just see, he has the attention. I mean, if he was doing it for that, you can be sure he had played up the effect. He had waited for the right moment. And now everyone's eyes were on Ananias. And Peter said, Ananias. 
Why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And so here's Peter sitting, and Ananias comes with all this drama. And Peter says, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Could just, I mean, just think, because here's everyone looking at him and admiring him. And then here Peter says, Satan's filled your heart to lie to God. I mean, you could just imagine, like, the confusing emotions. And then guess what happens? He kills over dead. And Peter didn't kill him. I mean, you could imagine that would be enough to give him a heart attack big enough to kill him. Just the, the trauma of this happening. That here he thinks everyone's going to look and admire him and say, Oh, Ananias, you're so great. And then Peter says, Satan's filled your heart to lie to God. I mean, just the shock of that statement would probably have just given him a heart attack and he would have died anyways. And then they take him out and bury him, which is shocking in and of itself because the Jews had really strict customs about burying, and you wouldn't just bury someone right off like that. But, you know, the event was so shocking, that's what they did. And Sapphira finally got her act together, and she had her hair just right after trying four different ways, and she was imagining everyone was going to look at her when she came in. And, you know, she had been part of the little plan to come in at the farthest door. And she came in imagining everyone's going to look at her and be like, what a sacrificial wife she is, just giving everything to God and, and all of that. But they're looking at her. But, I mean, you can think if she was paying any attention at all, she probably would have noticed they, they were paying attention to her, all right. But it wasn't exactly the kind of attention she was wanting to get. But, you know, maybe she was in her own little world and didn't realize that. Because she got up to where Peter was and, and Peter said, Did you sell the land for so much and name the amount that Ananias said? And she said, Yeah, that's what we did. And Peter said, How is it you've agreed together to tempt the Spirit of God? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And she died. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. I guess so. You'd imagine that if this kind of thing happened in church today, there'd be great fear today. And do not fear, I have very little doubt that anything like that's going to happen when we pass the offering plates that anyone's going to kill over dead. I hope not. But people have wondered why in the world were they judged so severely? Because if you just look at the story like that, it, you know... They didn't give all the property, and it seems really harsh and maybe even arbitrary. And some people have looked at this passage and said, what kind of God would do something like this? Even people have said, well, you know, we know God wouldn't do something like this, so probably this is just a made-up story that didn't really happen, and they just kind of threw it into the book of Acts later on. And people say that. See, it's out of all proportion to the crime. Was it? Even if you would never say that. And I'm, I'm, I'm hoping most of you here today wouldn't question the character of God or say, you know, I just don't believe what's in the Bible really ought to be in the Bible. We don't, wouldn't say something like that, but we would still wonder, you know, what was really going on here? Or if we wouldn't word it that way, we'd say, boy, I'm glad God doesn't do stuff like that today. Whew, I'd be in trouble. We say things like that, which really more or less comes down to the same thing, even though it's not worded the same way. If we're going to understand 
why this happened the way it did, we need to understand the severity of their actual sin. Before we can understand that the judgment was appropriate to the crime, we need to understand the nature of the crime. We need to understand what made it so bad. Because we're not going to question the character of God, but what we want to understand is what was so bad about what they did anyways. Was it just they didn't give all their property? That wasn't it. Peter told Ananias, look, it was yours. You could have kept it. And even after you kept it, you could have kept part of it and given part of it. Okay, that wasn't the issue. Was it just that they departed from telling a strict truth? Well, telling lies is wicked, but I mean, that wouldn't really seem to fit the, the severity of the punishment, just that they, they didn't tell the truth. You know, the telling the truth was the manifestation of what was going on in their heart. Lying was a manifestation of a deeper problem. And it's that deeper problem they were being punished for. There is more to it than just telling a lie. Ananias and Sapphira, they experienced the judgment of God because they tried to use his blessings to fulfill their own desires. They experienced the judgment of God because they tried to use what he gave them to glorify him, to glorify themselves, to fulfill their own agenda. It wasn't just the actions they performed. It was the wicked, wicked motivation they had for those actions. You see, no amount of good intentions can make a bad action good. It, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are in committing murder. It's still murder. It doesn't matter how well-intentioned you are in robbing a bank that you're going to give half the money to poor people. You're still a bank robber. I still hope you go to prison. No amount of good, action, good intentions can make a bad action good. We understand that. I hope we would understand that. But... What we frequently miss, we'd be like, yep, you do a bad action, it's bad no matter what. We'll get that. Yeah, we agree. Amen. But what's a lot easier to skip by is that how quickly a wicked motivation can turn a good action into something that's evil. Because that's a lot more likely to take place. You know, I hope we don't have too many bank robbers or murderers here this morning. We might have some, I don't know. Please don't tell me if, you, if, if you've murdered or, or robbed a bank unless you need to give yourself up or something. All right? I hope that isn't the case for most of us. But I think something that's the case for every one of us, I know it's true for my own heart, is there have been times when we've done a good action with wicked motivation. In fact, I could almost guarantee everyone that's here, the little children are gone, everyone that's here has done an action that would was good in and of itself. But we did it to glorify ourselves. We did it to pursue our own agenda. We did it for the motivation that was wicked. And thus what we did was wicked as well. Though the public attempt of Ananias and Sapphira to manipulate God led to a uniquely public judgment. We don't find people keeling over all over the place in the accounts of the church in the book of Acts. They, they very publicly tried to manipulate God. They received a very public judgment. But what we can see is the character of God does not change. Every attempt to manipulate God will lead to final judgment. You will not manipulate God and get away with it. It will lead to judgment. And that leads us to this question that if the attempt to use God's blessings to fulfill our own agenda leads to judgment, for what purposes do you use God's blessings? 
For what purposes do I use God's blessings? We have in, in this, this whole section of scripture, we have two basic ways, two basic paths you can follow in how you use the blessings that God gives you. We have the church as a whole at Jerusalem. We have the apostles who they experienced the feeling of the Holy Ghost. They experienced the power and the blessing of God because they wanted him to fulfill his purposes rather than their desires. They were more concerned with God's purposes than their own wants and their own needs. And they experienced incredible blessing. I mean, they, they experienced the power of God coming upon them and this was happening and this was happening and they were giving and they were, they were going and they were witnessing and they were receiving the blessing of God. Over here, we have a counterexample. Ananias and Sapphira experiencing the incredible judgment of God because they tried to use those same blessings for an entirely different purpose of glorifying themselves and fulfilling their own agenda. And God wouldn't tolerate it, and God still won't tolerate it. But which of these better characterizes the use that you make of what God gives you? See, don't forget that everything that you have, every good thing that you have, ultimately goes back to God. All that we deserve is the punishment of hell. We deserve to die. We deserve to be separated from God. <coughs> Pardon me. And everything besides that is a blessing of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above. It all goes back to Him. You may be sitting here and you may be thinking, you know, this whole thing is just ridiculous. I think it's absurd, you may think, to talk about living life on God's agenda. You may think, you know what, I just want to do things my own way. I don't want God's blessing. I don't want God's judgment. I just want to do my own thing. You, you think it's not worth taking the chance. You may be someone here that thinks it's not worth taking the chance to, 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 to trust God because, you know, he doesn't really care enough about you to, to fulfill your deepest needs and desires. If you think like this, and there are many professing Christians that think like this, even here this morning, I'm quite sure, there's something you need to know. If you think, you know what, I'm not going to try to use God's blessings. I'm just going to go out, I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm going to fulfill my own desires, and I'm just not going to worry about this church stuff and make it so important. I know that you're here this morning, so you have some concern, but there's a lot of people who will come to a church service, but when they leave the church service, all that they're about is the pursuit of their own agenda, and they're like, you know what, I'll just make a bargain with God. I won't ask for too much, and I won't give too much, and I'll just pursue my own thing because I've got this stuff that I really, really want. And I don't think God will give it to me, so I'm going to go get it myself. It's only in the pursuit of God's agenda that our desires find true fulfillment. You may think, you know what? I'm just going to pursue what I want, and I'm not going to worry about what God wants, and I won't receive his blessing maybe, but you know what? I'll at least get what I want. No, you won't. Here, stop and think about this. Human beings have very few root desires. We just have a lot of strategies for satisfying them. Just think of some of our basic Desires. We want to be loved. Almost everyone wants to be loved. Not everyone, but almost everyone. Or have power. Or have wealth. Or have an easy life. Comfort. Okay, you could probably think of a few more basic desires. But not very many. But what you could think of are a lot of different ways people try to satisfy those basic desires. People have strategies. They have plans. They have agendas for getting what they want out of life. Think of, you know, think of someone, think of a, a, a young lady who wants 
love. Well, she wants his affection and she craves it. And here you have a, a young college girl who gives herself to guy after guy after guy after guy that may not even want her because all she wants is, if I can just keep trying, maybe someday I'll find a little bit of affection. Maybe someday somebody will love me and, and this is all I can think of. And I want love so I don't care what God says because I want love so bad I'll do anything to get it. And another young person, she looks at that person and she says, man, that isn't working for her. You know, she's desperate. She's out here doing all this stuff. And what is she getting? Nothing. She's not getting the love that she wants. So I know what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be a bad, dirty girl like that. No, I'm going to give myself to studying diseases. And I'm going to go to leper colonies in Africa. And I'm going to give, 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 give of myself. And maybe someday somebody will be grateful enough to give me the love that I want. She's seeking for love. They're both seeking for the same thing. They just have their own strategy for how they're going to find it. That, that young woman who, who sacrifices in Africa, her brother looks at her and he says, you're so ridiculous, sister. He sees the ingratitude of those that her sister sacrifices so much to help. And he comes to the conclusion that, you know what? It just isn't worth seeking for love in this world. The only way to get what you want is to get some money. And so he runs roughshod over everyone in his way, and he climbs a corporate ladder, breaking the rungs beneath him so no one can ever approach to where he is, and he's got money. Man, he has his fancy car, and he has his house in the high-rise, and he has everything he wants. The lives of these three people look very different, but there's one thing they have in common. They're all seeking to slake the thirst of their soul with water from the ocean of this world. They're trying to quench their thirst with salt water, and it will never, 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 never work. Any satisfaction that is found in the pursuit of our own agenda, that you say, you know what, I'm going to do it, I'm going to get what I want this way, you try that, it's not going to work. You may get temporary satisfaction, just like someone who's dying of thirst, and they try to, they come to the ocean, and they dig their dipper in big, and it feels so good going down their throat. Oh, it's so good. And then when they're done, they're thirstier than ever. And they try it again, and they're thirstier than ever. And they try it again, more desperate. And all they're doing is killing themselves because they're never going to get satisfied drinking salt water. Never, ever, ever. It cannot work. It doesn't matter how much they drink. It doesn't matter if they go out to the middle of the ocean and they try to drink some. Salt water won't quench your thirst. The man said so well, if you aim at heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you'll get nothing. Absolutely nothing. It is only as we use God's blessings for the purposes of his agenda that our own desires are even, see, have the possibility of being fulfilled. You see, you know, the pursuit of our agenda doesn't even have a chance, doesn't even have the bare possibility. It's not like you probably won't satisfy your desires if you pursue your own agenda. No, it's, it's like it's absolutely impossible to fulfill any desires in the pursuit of your own agenda. The world isn't made that way. It's only as you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness that that is even an option of having all these things added unto us. If you seek all these things, you get nothing. It's not that you say, okay, you know what? I don't want the kingdom of God. I'm just satisfied with all these things. So I'm just going to go out and get all these things and everything's going to be okay. No, that isn't an option. You'll never get all these things. 
It's only as you forget about these things and you pursue God's agenda that there's even a possibility of you to get these things that you want, this love that you want, this power that you want, these things that you want. You'll never get them if that's what you seek. They'll always be just this far out of your reach. Just another drink of salt water away from quenching your thirst. If you are not using God's blessings for God's purposes, then you are just abusing those blessings. You're making them worthless, for apart from his agenda, they are utterly impotent to satisfy you. You may be sitting here this morning and you may be wondering, okay, so you know what, I get it. I'm supposed to live life on God's agenda. So does that mean I'm like supposed to go out and, and, and uh, how do I get on God's agenda? Does that mean I'm like supposed to be a really good person and, and you may not understand even what I'm talking about? Well, here's the thing. You know, God's agenda isn't just following a set of do's and don'ts. You know, the Marine Corps has a field manual. All branches of the United States military and indeed all militaries I'm aware of, they have field manuals, they have exercises, they have ways they're supposed to march, they have ways they're supposed to salute, they have ways they're supposed to address their commanding officers, they have certain exercises they're supposed to do, they have a level of physical fitness that's required. And let's say somebody says, you know what, I want to be on the Marine Corps agenda. And so he finds an old copy of the Marine Corps field manual, and he begins to study it, and he studies it. And he goes running every day and, and he goes push-ups like you wouldn't believe how many push-ups that he does. And, and he, he knows the field manual inside and out. I mean, he knows the field manual better than the drill sergeants. And that's not very easy. But if this person who memorized the Marine Corps field manual gets out on the battlefield, he ain't on the Marine Corps agenda and he's liable to get shot dead because he's not on their side. Just because he knows their stuff just because he does these, these works like the Marine Corps. I mean, it's possible you could be better at the drills than some of the Marines. That's not impossible. You could say, you know what, I know the march better than them, and I can look at that guy that's there in the Marine Corps, and he's stumbling on his steps, and I don't stumble. I, I march just right like I'm supposed to. You're not a part of the Marine Corps just because you know their manual. It's the same idea that a lot of people have about God's agenda. They think, you know, if I do a lot of good stuff, then God's going to love me. I'll be on God's side. It's, it's the things that I do. It's the church I'm a part of. It's, it's this and it's that. But if you're not on God's side, it doesn't matter what you do. You could look at some Christians and you could say, look at that Christian right there stumbling. And you know what? Why would I want to join that when I'm already a better person than he is? That's entirely besides the point. Before this is even relevant to you, you have to be a member of God's army. You have to be adopted into God's family. You know, when, when a company has an agenda, if you don't work for that company and you start trying to follow that agenda, it's called corporate thievery. They're not going to like give you a raise if you're not working for them, right? If you try to look like an army you're not enlisted in, it's called being a spy. They're going to shoot you. They're going to lock you up in Guantanamo Bay. You're not on the right side till you're enlisted in the right army. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just saying that's the nature of the, the conflict we're engaged in. That's just part of the nature of reality. That if you're going to be on God's agenda, you've got to first be one of God's children. It's as simple as that. No amount of good works will make you one of God's children. 
You must be one of those children of God before his purposes have any relevance for your life. Yet at the same time, it's quite possible to be a member of God's army, to be a member of God's family, and yet still not be living life on his agenda. The agenda is very relevant for you. You're a member of God's family, but you still are attempting to use his blessings for your purposes. You still think somehow you're going to manipulate this thing for your own advantage and you're going to get what you want and, and you're going to get God to give you what you want and you're going, to, you're going to figure this out and you're going to get what you want out of this. Well, it's not going to work. You're not going to get what you want and you are going to get the judgment of God. Because, you know, if we have this hypothetical person in the Marine Corps, you know, Yes, it's true, those people that are outside of, of that branch of service aren't members. It's also true that members who march out of step get locked up in the brig. It's also true that they're not going to get promoted for not listening to the commanding officer. They might get court-martialed, as a matter of fact. In fact, if they don't listen to the commanding officer, they will get court-martialed. This is just the way that things work. And you might say, well, you know, I think I live life on God's agenda. Yeah, I am all about God's agenda. I am all about using God's blessing for his purposes. Well, if that's the case, and I think most people, I think even Ananias and Sapphira would have said, yeah, we, we follow God's agenda. Yeah, that's us, Ananias and Sapphira, number one Christians. Yeah, us. Right? There's a lot of people who think that. But living life on God's agenda is going to have a practical impact on your life. And if it's not having that practical impact on your life, it's evidence that that's not really what you're all about. See, if, if the army is marching this way, and you're marching like this way, then you're not following the same orders that the army is following. You're following your own drummer. You're marching to the beat of your own drummer. It's a good way to get yourself killed on a battlefield, actually. It's not a very positive thing to do. Well, what's it look like when you live life on God's agenda? You say, okay, you know, this whole thing, living life on God's agenda, great. I know that's the only way to find satisfaction, so I want to live life on God's agenda. What difference does that make for my life? Well, when you're on God's agenda, God sets your priorities. It's not that, you know, God sets your financial priorities. It's not that you never spend money on yourself. God isn't like that. He's not some, some hateful taskmaster and says, it demands the impossible of you. It's that we seek to see how much we can give rather than how much we can keep. The priority of our financial planning is God's purposes, not our purposes. That's what was going on at the Jerusalem church. It wasn't that they all stopped eating and gave all their food to somebody else. It wasn't that they all lived on the street and had beggars live in their houses. It's that their financial priorities were determined by God's purposes for the world. And if you're on God's agenda, your financial priorities will not be determined by the American dream, but by God's purposes for this world of seeing people come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's what your financial budget will be determined by is God's purposes, not your desires. It's not that we spend every waking moment praying and preaching and witnessing and fasting and we never do anything recreational and I am so spiritual because I, I haven't done anything that was remotely enjoyable for six months and that makes me on God's agenda. That's ridiculous. It's that when we seek recreation, when we seek enjoyment, we do so that we might be refreshed to further serve God, not for our own selfish benefit, 
because you need recreation in order to be a fit tool to glorify God. But you need to consider what sort of recreation is going to make you better able to serve God and make your entertainment decisions based on that. And if that was your real priority, I think, if that was the real priority of Christians, I think Hollywood would be losing an awful lot of business. It's we'd seek these things as a means to an end rather than as an end for a means. We seek our life is about pursuing God's ends by whatever means he chooses to give us rather than setting our own agenda and taking whatever means God gives us and pursuing what we want with his blessings. Well, not only if we're on God's agenda are we going to allow him to set our priorities, if we're on God's agenda, we're going to allow him to set our boundaries. There's going to be things we would otherwise do that we won't do because we're not on our own agenda. Means when we consider whether or not we ought to do something, our primary consideration is not our desires but God's directions. It doesn't matter how much a particular job pays or how good it would be for your corporate career. If it keeps you away from the assembly of God's people on a consistent and regular basis, it's outside of the boundaries. It's not an option for you. It's not like you have to weigh, okay, I have this desire to, to make money and then this desire to be with God's people. So which is the higher priority for me? Let me juggle it and see what comes down. It's not even an issue if you're on God's agenda. It doesn't matter how pretty or handsome or, or gorgeous or whatever you want to say that girl is at the office or that guy is at the office. If you're not married to them, you have no right to touch them. And if you're not married at all and they're not a Christian, you have no right to consider them. And if you are married, it doesn't matter if they are a Christian, you still don't have any right to be thinking about them. It doesn't matter how frustrated you are with your spouse at a given point. If you're on God's agenda, then using the blessings God's given you as a person to manipulate your spouse to get what you want, that's not inside the boundaries of God's will. God is very clear about that. And obviously, this morning, in the context of everyone being here, I can't say too much about that, but you understand what I mean. That is worldly methodology for getting what you want. It's outside God's boundaries. And we could go example after example after example of things that if you really were on God's agenda, it'd be outside of the boundaries. But you see, time after time after time, we see that people don't consider those things outside their boundaries. We see that when they make their financial planning, God's priorities really, you know, they're like a secondary or a third or a fourth consideration to their needs and desires. You know, when they plan their life, they plan, I want to get money, I want to be loved, I want to have power, and how am I going to do it and kind of still stay looking like a Christian? That's not God's agenda. God's agenda, God comes first, you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then God decides what other things you need, and he gives them to you. And lo and behold, they're actually satisfying when you're on God's agenda. When you're pursuing the kingdom of heaven, the things you get by the way are infinitely more satisfying than anything you could ever find 
God doesn't feed you salt water. He gives you clear, clean water that satisfies your thirst. Because once you have God in his proper place, then everything else can give its proper satisfaction. But when God's out of place, you're trying to use that stuff to fulfill a hunger it will never, ever fill. It is only when we use God's blessings for his purposes that we receive any benefit from those blessings. Trying to use them to pursue our own agenda may seem like a good idea. I mean, Ananias and Sapphira, they thought they had a good thing going. They thought, you know, God's given us this property. Or if they even thought of God giving it to them, we've got this property. We've got this desire to be looked at, to be admired. We've got a plan. It's going to work. It didn't work. And your failure might not be. In fact, it probably won't be nearly as spectacular as theirs. But it will nevertheless be a failure. Your efforts to satisfy your own agenda, they may not receive the spectacular judgment that Ananias and Sapphira did. But rest assured, don't worry about it. You will receive the judgment of God if that's what you try to do. The character of God does not change. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed. And his opinion of you using his blessings to glorify yourself hasn't changed either. In the long run, it will lead to frustration of our desires. In the longest run, it will always lead to the judgment of God. The question I have for you this afternoon, the question I have for me this afternoon that I've had to ask myself over and over again as I'm preparing this message, I have to say, wow, I need to change this or I need to work on this. For what purposes are you using God's blessings? Because everything you have, every good, every perfect gift cometh down from the Father above. All you have this good comes from God. So you've got God's blessings. That's not a question. For what purpose are you using them? And if you're not a member of God's family, God's offering you the greatest blessing, salvation, and it's open to anyone who will accept it on his terms. There's no one that's ever come to Christ who's been turned away. But if you come to Christ with your own agenda for salvation, no, he has the right of determining how you get into heaven. You have to do it his way just like you have to live life his way. It's his way because he created this world and he has the right to determine how it works. And he has and he will whether you give him that right or not. For what purpose are you using God's blessings? Father, Lord, I come before you and I just ask you, Father, this message would speak to people's hearts, Father. I pray, Lord, even above that, that it would speak to my heart. Father, what a shame it would be if I preached this and then I didn't do it. I pray, Father, no one would... Go away, Father, still stuck on their own agenda, still following their own purposes, still trying to manipulate you. Help them to see, Father, it just won't work. Help me to see that it won't work. Help us to love you and pursue you with all of our strength and heart and soul and mind. In Christ's name I pray.